I'm Colby Spencer, and this is Vantropolis. This is Vantropolis, a podcast about the happenings, the goings-on, and the general day-to-day life and antics of the underslept masses working in Vancouver's film industry. I'm no expert. I'm just nosy. And if you are too, let's do this. You invite a friendly and unassuming Kiwi to your podcast, and 20 minutes in, you discover she's worked on Peter Jackson's King Kong, the Halo film that wasn't, and that she was a director's assistant on Neil Blomkamp's feature films District 9 and Elysium, which took her to South Africa, Mexico, and finally Vancouver. I'm talking about Victoria Burkhart. Originally from New Zealand, she's now a Canadian resident and has found her stride as a producer with her and her husband's production company, Sizzle Snap. We talk about the loaded producer job title, what it means, the various roles it can play in film and television, and how the strength of female mentorship can be a game changer for women climbing the ranks of the film industry. We also talk about finding love on set, which I feel could probably be a future episode all its own. Maybe Valentine's Day? I thought I thought we could start with a Kiwi greeting of some sorts. Oh, I'd say uh, kia ora. Kia ora. Yeah. And, and what does that mean? Almost it. That's uh, basically it's Maori for hello. I love that. Yeah. I want to use something more than just hey. Everything here is just hey. Hey, what's up? Hey. Anyway, <laughs> kia ora. That's awful, and we'll never repeat it again the way I'm butchering <laughs> it. Um, so yeah, Victoria Burkhardt is my guest today. She is a producer, and obviously from New Zealand, as you can hear from her very charming accent. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to cover off a whole bunch of topics with you today um, relating to film, but working motherhood, I think. You're my first working uh, in film mom, so that's awesome, because um, I think that's a huge representation that uh, isn't always discussed, you know, with balance and family, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and then obviously working in Canada, coming from New Zealand, and you've worked in other places around the world, so I think that's super interesting to kind of compare, you know, get an outsider's perspective on what Vancouver is like from from what you've seen and observed and experienced. So you were kind of born and raised in New Zealand, obviously. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I was born and raised in a tiny town, which is um, which is called Ward, and there was about 100 people in our town. Oh, wow, that um, is tiny. Yeah, so, and then the closest actual kind of city, which is also not a city, was called Blenheim, and that was about 30,000 people. So, yeah, my a lot of my childhood was basically, you know, 20 other people in my class. Oh, my like, goodness. Um, in fact, I think the school at sometimes was only like 40 kids, so it's, yeah. It's was it North pretty, Island? That was top of the South Island. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so a lot of my childhood was based there, and then I had went to high school in Blenheim. You know, I think it was the last year of, second to last year of high school, you know, they, they come around and say, okay, well, you need to go and see the guidance counsellor and see what kind of things you want to do when you grow up. Yeah, you're like, I, I haven't grown up yet. Yeah, I always yeah. find that insane. They do that, in my opinion, way too soon. Yeah, it's like, I don't know what You're I like, I'm just do. dating, and I want yeah. to get my license and get out of this town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so, um, so I had no idea. I mean, coming from such a small town, I feel like I didn't really know. Like, you know, my options were: I'm going to be a lawyer, or I'm going to be a doctor, or I'm going to be a, you know, that. Like, my world was so small. And then, um, I mean, I watched movies and I, I watched TV, a lot of TV and stuff like that, but I never even contemplated that as a job. And then, my guidance counselor basically said to me, "Well." 
you know, you, you go through all these questions and it's like, well, you can either be a conductor or, because I loved music and photography, um, you could be a conductor or why don't you go and do this two-week-long uh, holiday course down in Christchurch, which is um, which is the biggest city in the South Island. Um, and it's basically about TV and, and broadcast. So I was like, okay, well, I'll do that. And so I went down there for those, I think it was either one or two weeks, um, did this course at St Andrews College, and it was basically a bunch of kids making a TV show. And, you know, you, you learn all about the different roles that you had to do, and I was like, wow, this is amazing, this is totally what I want to do. Um, you know, we were editing all of our own stuff. And if you kind of just think about, like, not the world that we're in now, but the world that I was in there was I had no idea that you could do all of this stuff. So going into like, okay, now we're running a TV show for this week and it's going to be broadcast on an actual channel. Um, so that was just awesome. And so, you know, we'd have kind of turns on doing performances and then turns on being the director and editor and um, floor manager and all those kinds of things. And, yeah, so it was from there I was like, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to go and be in film, I want to be a director. And um, so my last year of high school, I actually left my high school, left all my friends, and I went down to this special school in Christchurch and did my last year of high school because they had that media studies department that was so awesome. Like, they had their own cameras. Everything was basically set up. So That's great. Yeah. You although, lucked out that you got to fit there, you know? That yeah, yeah. And I think that's a, a thing. Like, I feel like... I. Back then, I mean, I'm not old. I'm like 37. I'm not, you know, it's not like I, I kind of sound like I'm going, oh, I'm this old lady or something. <laughs> no, but it is true because yeah. I, I had a guest in here on another episode and we talked about the same stuff that when you grew up and wanted to do something a little different, his was a lot of like comedy and stand-up. Nobody really knows the path to that. Like if yeah. you want to be a teacher, everybody knows how to tell you how to be that or an accountant. But if you start getting into some of those arts – your parents don't know, and yeah. it, we didn't have the internet like we do now. You couldn't just Google that stuff. So you're you're kind of done a disservice by not being able to find those passions as a career path, right? Yeah, yeah. And so I, I just think that careers advisor that I talked to, that she, like, kind of brought that up to me. I mean, maybe if I hadn't talked to her, I would have eventually found found that path but um yeah it was awesome and then so I did that media studies course and then I went on to um studying I got into a three-year degree course a bachelor of broadcast communications in Christchurch as well and yeah it was awesome so when you so you finished the school and then then what you obviously had to go find a job yeah so I had the two years well the cool thing about that course was you do two years and then you do six months of an internship so you have to go out and find some place to work, like have a placement. Yeah, so I moved up to Wellington and um, there I got an internship at this little company called Sticky Pictures. So what happened after that? What? How did, it, how so did you then, keep going on your journey? Yeah, so then after that I really wanted to get into directing um, and I was lucky enough to get a job on um, a kids' TV show and um, I was basically just filling in for a girl for a few weeks and then as a PA. And um, they really liked me and they said, well, why don't you stay on? What do you want to do? And I said, I want to direct. 
And good for, good for you, right for the top. Uh, and you asked, um, they were like, well, you know, why don't you go and do some field directing then? And so basically field director in that instance was exactly as it sounds. It's like, okay, come up with a little story, go and shoot a two or three minute piece, um, go out into the field and direct it, bring it back, edit it and put it up. And so then it would basically be on the air the following week. So sort of like um, news, I'm assuming yeah, news kind of works. Like little, you have your little story yeah. in your lead, you kind of produce your piece and yeah. get it back, bring it back and Exactly. So so yeah, and I was super lucky. I mean, you don't not many people get to jump in and direct straight away that's actually on something that's But like, good for you for just saying it though. Yeah. How many people would just like what do you want to do? You're like, I want to direct. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you can do that much now, but <laughs> Well, I especially yeah. I think women don't ask, yeah. right? I yeah. I mean, they don't like yeah, I was I was very lucky. And then, yeah, so after that, so I did that for oh, it's probably six months or so, and then the, the show got, uh, the show, like, was at its end. I think, I don't know how many seasons they had. Um, but, yeah, so the show stopped, so my job basically was finished. And then from there, um, what did I do after that? Oh, okay, so then, then that was sort of my point. Like, I was living in Wellington, and I was... That was where I was like, well, hang on, like, Peter Jackson lives here. Like, what, I, it would be so cool to actually work in film. And and because I'd had that kind of little taste in actually directing stories, that kind of opened my world to, oh, okay, well, feature, like, film. Film is cool. Like, let's go and see if I can get some work on film. And um, and what year was that, sort of? So uh, so that was 2000, oh, early oh, 2000. Oh, four, kind of? Yeah, it must have been about oh three or four, something like that. Because Peter Jackson at that point, like, what, I'm just trying to think of the years of so all of he, his work for New Zealand that would have put it on the map. Yeah, well, so basically he, he had Brain Dead and uh, Meet the Feebles and um, uh, Heavenly Creatures was a big one. Um, then, you know, Lord of the Rings was obviously the, the giant the one kicker. that made kind of put it on the map in terms of tourism. Yeah, because, because people of, still go and do, like, the Hobbit yeah. house tours and all of that. It's Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, it's it was pretty awesome, actually, what he's managed to do for the industry over there. Like, he's really set this pretty awesome place up. Well, I love um, that he stayed in New Zealand. So, yeah. you know, we have lots of Canadian directors and stuff, but they rarely stay in Canada. Yeah. You know, they go to the States or whatever. But I love that that's such a homegrown story. And, yeah, and I think that... From what I hear, um, that was his whole thing. It's like, well, that's his home. He wants to do it. And it's stunning, and, yeah. to be fair. It's stunning, yeah. beautiful, like, nature. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I kind of, at that point, I was like, okay, I need to get my resume out there, try and get jobs on um, film sets. And, you know, New Zealand at that stage, yes, there was Lord of the Rings and, and that kind of thing, but there wasn't too many other films being done there. There was the odd you know, odd one and stuff. But um, the industry, I mean, we kind of talk about the industry in Vancouver being very small, like, you know, everyone knows everyone. There, you're, you know, the entire of New Zealand is like less than 5 million people. So, you know, the film, you, you actually do know most people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for, for me, who knew no one in film at that point, um, and my broadcasting um, school... That was good to an extent because it taught me about, you know, all the different roles and stuff, but it was it didn't really transfer into film, like the roles and how to do things transferred, but they are two kind of different beasts. So my, my mum and dad had a family friend 
who had a friend who was a producer. And so my family friend basically just said, why don't I connect you and maybe she's got um, some work. And luckily she did. She had a um, Korean feature film coming to New Zealand and so I went around to her house and at this stage um, she hadn't, you know, they hadn't started official pre-production or anything so she was just working from in her house uh, doing early, early pre-production and so I went around and she's like, okay, well let's, why don't you work with me for a day and, and I'll, um, we'll see if we like each other. And so she had me busy doing, I can't even remember what I was doing around her house. And, and then she's like, okay, cool. Well, let's hire you and you'll be the production assistant on this job. And, and we're actually going to be shooting in, in Queenstown, um, which was at the bottom of the South Island. And if anyone knows much about New Zealand, Queenstown is like a, a very tourist it's almost like Whistler for, yeah, for Vancouver, like, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. So there's like extreme bungee jumping and yeah. skiing and Yeah, and it's sort of, gorgeous. I'll, and so my first film job was working in Queenstown on a Korean feature film shooting in the snow. So it was um, it's kind of weird now that I think about it because it's very feels kind of very Vancouver. Like that doesn't sound very It was foreshadowing. For anyone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that was really cool. And um, I through that I met a bunch of... What was of, the film called? Uh, it was called Antarctic Journal and uh, met a bunch of really amazing people. Um, and, of course, there was a lot of Korean crew that were brought over from Korea for the film because the director, the DOP, in fact, I think all of the creative heads were brought over uh, just because they we were only doing a portion of the filming in New Zealand. They, and is that what they, they call, like, when they talk about above the line? Because, like, you can't go all over the world and shoot necessarily unless you have a certain level of your role, right? Yeah, well, so above the line is more about um, if you talk about the producers, directors, writers, and uh, your, like, lead actors. That's all above the line. And so below the line, yeah, I mean, like, your um, production designer, there's still some creative roles that are below the line. Production designer, your hair and makeup, costume designer, those kinds of people are below the line, but um, but still have a, a quite a big creative impact on the film. But it sort so, of means, like, if you're below the line, you can't necessarily, like, you're supposed to hire local crews. Yeah. That's kind yeah, of the idea, right? It, it is the idea. But in that instance, because I think it was probably about 50% of the film was actually already being shot in Korea, they already had their looks right. established, so then they bring their crew over. Yeah. Um, just like I've worked on a... a bunch of other shows that have done the same thing, like a film that I worked on in um, Canada we uh, called Elysium. You Just know, a little shot. film <laughs> called Elysium. I don't know. You um, might have heard of it. Yeah, so that film was majority, probably about 80% of it was shot in Vancouver, but it's much easier to take the same crew, like heads of departments, of course, in, yeah. over to Mexico, which is where we shot the rest of the film, just because everything is already set up. Yeah, just and, synergy. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and sorry, I, I digressed there. That's okay. I was just curious about, because I've heard even my husband talk about, you can't just move anywhere and work if you're not above or below the line, you know, for certain things they have to hire local. So yeah. I was just curious. Yeah. Anyway. So yeah, so you, so you worked on this, I mean, you really fell into quite a good little situation here. Yeah, I was extremely lucky. But, but you were competent too, because you wouldn't have gotten that far if you were you yeah, know, well, and just think, nosing around. I think that's the biggest thing to anyone who's trying to get into the film industry um, is like just work your butt off. Well, and I yeah. would also to that point too, like no role is too 
uh, menial. For example, like production assistants here and even your first role, right, with that, yeah. um, with that whole South Korean film. Like Tony, my husband, was saying, you know, when he was a PA, like it's free film school in a way. You're standing around on set. You literally can soak up whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You can just like sweep cigarette butts and text your friends or you can like absorb the crazy hub of information that's coming at you from all of those departments. So it's really up to you. You know, you can see that role any way you want, yeah. starting at that, you know, quote unquote low level as a PA. But exactly. you've got carte blanche on the set, really. Yeah. You know? Yeah. As long as you're, um, if you don't get in the way, if you don't, you know, talk out of turn. Right. You know, no, know your place on that ladder. Don't go course. and ask for autographs no. from, oh, from any actors. Do or- PAs do that? Have you seen that? <laughs> Mm, not at the start of a job. I have seen it at the end. Everybody gets a bit sloppier yeah. at the end. Um, That's a no-no. Yeah, yeah. It is a no-no. I just went to a rap party the other night, and, like, even people that brought dates, and you could see the dates were a bit starstruck just for a TV show that films here. And it's just, it's such a no-no. It's just, yeah. ugh, it's, like, cringeworthy because you just don't do that. Yeah. You know? It's a no-no, but also this. I mean, you have to also remember that these actors, a lot of, like, the big, well-known actors, they're so used to it that, yes, it's probably kind of unpleasant for them to always get that kind of situation. But if they really don't want to sign something, they're probably going to say, hey, this is not a good time. Yeah. I just feel and, like um, with Canadians and Kiwis, too, it's very similar culture of yeah. just that... Just a bit more reserved and it's not, I don't know, I feel like we self-govern each other on set that way. From what I've heard, it's just those people are instantly labeled if you do that. You know, you're like, you have like a dark spot on the back of your shirt. Yeah. I mean, I think that was, that's something that, and it's probably to slightly less extent here now in Vancouver because the film industry is so busy that's, you know, in terms of actors and stuff, but in New Zealand... Certainly, I think actors really like going there because your people just treat you normal. Right. It's like, oh, hey, that, that, you know, you might run into someone on the street that's famous, but you're not really going to say anything else except, how's it going, buddy? Like, yeah. Oh. And there's probably not as much paparazzi either because yeah, it's not. so far. Yeah. It's not like LA where they're just going to get coffee and they're all around. Yeah. Like you're, exactly. no one's sending someone to go stake out a set in, you know, yeah. Queenstown. But I do, in saying that as well, I feel like um, the Vancouver film industry is very aware of that. And there, there's, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, you might get the odd person trying to go and do an autograph and stuff, but there's, um, it's just not accepted on set, for instance. So, you know, if you do that too many times or even once, you're probably not going to be on the next one. So No. I wonder, too, if that's an L.A. thing, because I know when the film industry started here, we were all, and I say we, I didn't work in it, but everyone that I knew and my, you know, all my friends, it's uh, like it was a sensitivity of like, we're not L.A., yeah. We're, we're, we're different, but also trying, like, that little brother of, like, we're trying to prove ourselves. Yeah. We can be a professional film hub, too. So that sort of aloofness of, like, we're not going to ask for autographs and act, act too desperate, you know? Like, we're, we're somebody up here. We're, like, we've got our own industry. We can do this, right? So yeah. there's there's that living in the shadow of L.A. as well, of, of trying to be this other, other you know, industry. But yeah. knowing all of these people are coming from California. Yeah. The writers, the producers, the actors, you know? And you're, like, we'll get to it later, but just sort of that service industry of yeah. fulfilling that production, right? So I always wonder about that comparison. I think it's dulled now because we're so busy. Yeah. Um, but I know, you know, there were jokes in the early days where, you know, people in Vancouver wanted to wear T-shirts that said, like, I don't give a fuck how they do it in L.A. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was just like, we're not in L.A. We don't yeah. do anything the same. Leave us alone, right? 
So that's cool. So you finished up that North Korean, that, or no, not North Korean, South Korean film. North Korean film would have been very yeah. interesting. <laughs> I would have loved to see how that yeah, one ended yeah. working working in Queenstown. Yeah. So how did you feel at the end of that? Was it what you expected? Were you? Oh, like, it was amazing. I mean, I was so incredibly lucky. The coordinator that I worked uh, worked with, she so I was her assistant coordinator, and she basically, I don't even think I knew how to use Excel. Like, I was very, very, very green. And she just took me under her wing and showed me what to do. And I, you know, I was like... You never forget those people, right? Yeah. I was just so lucky and I made really, really good friends from that first film. Like, when you're away on a film, you know, everyone's on per diem, everyone's, you know, eating dinner every night together. So explain per diem for people that don't know what per... I know what it is, but... So per diem Plus, you can say in a more charming... (laughs) <laughs> accent than my annoying voice. <laughs> so, yeah, per diem is basically a per day allowance. So if you're staying away for a job, if, if the production has basically said, we want you to go and work in, um, say, for instance, Whistler, um, and you're not going to drive, we're going to put you up in a hotel, you're going to have a, a per, diem, like per day allowance so that you can feed yourself, uh, do any laundry that you need to do. Um, so that's just an extra on top of your wage that you're getting just to kind of cover any out-of-pocket expenses that you might have. Right, because you're still on the job. Yeah, exactly. And so, yeah, so with that job, it was... It was that kind of vibe where, you you know, you're really, really becoming this tight-knit family, even more so than what a normal film where you're not working away on does because... I mean, already if on a film set, you're already there for, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day working with people for 60 days in a row or however long it is. Um, and then put on top of that, you're out, you're on an away job. Now you're living with these people and, you know, you might have your own hotel room and stuff, but you're like, you really do become a family. And, um, and obviously people find uh, relationships as well, which, you know, yes, yeah. we can, we can get into later, but... <laughs> Uh, it's that too, right? You you see co-stars fall for each other, and I think a lot of it's just the amount, the sheer volume of time together. Yeah. That familiarity is, like, so fast, right? Yeah, exactly. And you very quickly kind of realize, like, who your friends are and who, who you might not want to hang out with after work, but you're always going to be pleasant and mm-hmm. civil. And, and that's one other thing I really like about the film industry. It's like, it's, you know, you... You get on with your job, you do it, you go home, and you might have you know people that you didn't like, don't like working with, but it's it's work. And when you go home, it's home. So, yeah, For those three hours that you're home, yeah, it's home. Three hours that you're sleeping, <laughs> and then <laughs> the other twenty one you just get through, and then yeah. you have three glorious hours alone. Exactly. So you finished that South Korean film, and what what was your next kind of step? Were you still you were still living in New Zealand? Obviously, you were going to stay there in your mind for for the for the long term. Yeah, so I didn't I never had any kind of thought that I was going to move away from New Zealand. Not that I didn't want to. It was just like, oh, okay, well, so now I'd go and get the next job. So the coordinator from Antarctic Journal connected me with a production manager on King Kong. So that was Peter Jackson's um, film that he did after Lord of the Rings. Good old Peter. Yeah. And so that was my, I, I got an interview for a job on King Kong and that was my sort of first job in on a Peter Jackson film. And so I was in second unit. And yeah, so that so was... how old were you? Uh, tw- 24. Wow. Yeah. 
That's big. Uh, yeah, so that was really cool. I was um, working in the production office, and um, yeah, so it was that was quite full on. Although we were second unit, so we didn't have as long a days as main unit. And explain um, what second unit is for people yeah. that are listening that might not know. Yeah, so main unit is basically anywhere where a camera is. Um, so a camera will usually be filming the um, main cast. Um, any the and the direct the main director will always be on main unit. Second unit is a unit that usually um, usually does all the stunt work or any any of the kind of other work that's not with the lead cast. Um, so it's kind of the fun stuff, <laughs> you know, blowing things. Well, the pressure is probably a little yeah. bit less too, right? Yeah, and and um, so the, you'll generally have a, a second unit director who the main director entrusts into, you know, getting the things that he needs for. So in this instance, uh, Peter Jackson getting the things that Peter Jackson needed for his film to, you know, getting everything. In order. And, um, yeah, so that's what second unit is. And so for King Kong, I was on second unit. And then when that finished, I think I was on that for six months or something. And where did that film in New Zealand? That was in Wellington. Okay. Um, And there was main unit shot in a few other places in New Zealand. But um, I think there was also second unit went to Taupo in Auckland as well. But... um, I, I was in the office, so I didn't get to go, unfortunately. Um, but, yeah, I, yeah, so I did that, and then post-production came along, and, and post, you kind of, if you're not from the world of post-production, and I, I certainly wasn't at that stage, I, I'd only really worked on, like, the production side of um, jobs. And then so if you don't know like visual effect, like all those elements in post-production take, can take so long. And with a film like King Kong, their post-production period was very long. Just all the CG so, and special effects. and Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. And so, um, so I was lucky enough to actually get on and do post-production coordinating for King Kong after I did the second unit work, which was really great because I then got to see a side of production that I hadn't seen before, which was post. Um, and it's kind of cool. Like if you're if you're a filmmaker or if you want to be a producer, then seeing like being able to go through all those different stages is really kind of important. Um, just so that you know what is yeah, what has to happen. It's not just the shoot. There's this whole other world that happens after the shoot. There's the editing and the sound and the visual effects and the you know the composition and everything. So it's um. Yeah, that was actually really a, a real eye-opener and I worked with some amazing people on that. And then after King Kong, I got a call from um, the production manager from King Kong again and she said to me, hey, well, there's this there's this potential um, director coming into town. I know you haven't been a director's assistant before, but what do you think about coming and being this guy's assistant for a week? And I said, well, okay, well, I haven't been a director's assistant before, but it's it's a week, sure, I would see if I like it. And Good for and, you, though. I love that you had no fear. Yeah. Because some of these things, I mean, you can, self-doubt can creep in. Yeah. If you've never done it. Yeah. You know, it's it's like feature film, it's 
this unknown director you're going to assist. It's just kind of, it, yeah. you know, it can be terrifying. Yeah, and, like, what? who's to say if I'll actually get along with the guy? Or, or, because we've or, all heard horror or, stories, right? All kinds yeah. of crazy. I've heard so many assistant stories with stuff like that. It's like, yeah. They're scarred after some yeah. of the stories. She said to me, well, it's um, for this potential film called Halo. And Halo, for any gaming people out there, is, you know, a huge... Huge um, game, and so at the time I didn't really know, oh, okay, it's cool, it's this young director and he's coming in and he's going to do uh, do this film with Peter Jackson as the producer. Um, I remember so, this whole story. This is like an infamous story. Yeah, yeah, and so so anyway, I yeah met with Neil, who was Neil Blomkamp, and he was the director who came into town, and um, he was awesome. Like it was like we got along really well, and it was great. And um, basically, the production manager at the time had told me, "Well, it's a week." She didn't say anything more because you know, what if just in case you don't get along? And so after the week, they were like, "Yeah, so well, he would like you to stay as his assistant. Um, would you like to?" And yeah, so then we did. I think we worked through three or four months of um, early pre-production on the Halo film, and then um, unfortunately, it just didn't didn't happen. So, Which happens with a lot of things, right? Yeah, yeah. In After film. a lot, of, I mean, we'd we'd done a th- thousands of designs, we'd done so much work and stuff, but it just didn't happen for for a bunch of different reasons. And um, so Peter Jackson basically said to Neil, "Well." You're here now. You've moved. Like he, Neil had moved his family over from Canada. Um, why don't you? What else do you have? Why don't we? Why don't you stay? What else here are you and, doing this yeah. weekend? <laughs> what, what do you got? You don't have anywhere yeah. else to be. You've got an assistant now. Yeah. So why don't you stay here and write something else, and then we'll we'll make that instead. And yeah. So Neil said, "Yeah, that sounds good." And Wisely, he said, uh, yeah. "Absolutely, Mr. Jackson." <laughs> so yeah, and which meant for me, which was amazing, that I got to stay on as his assistant through that whole development stage of District 9, which was the which was the film that he basically spent, I think it was probably about a year writing, or I can't remember how long exactly, um, writing and developing and doing design for with Weta Workshop and um, just getting a really solid idea of what the film would be so that they could then go and sell it to a studio and that we could hopefully make it. So what what does a director's assistant do? Did did you know? So that first week when you were just on kind of like a, you know, just Try. trying it out, what are you doing as a director's assistant? So, well, a lot of it is to basically do anything that the director wants. Right. So running his schedule, um, helping with, Research. Um, I had folders and folders and folders of research photos. Oh, can you print them out and put them all over my wall? And then, you know, it's, it's basically anything. And right. I think it's really dependent on the director as well, like how much involvement they would want from How much assistant. they lean on you. Yeah, because your... a director's assistant could literally just be someone that is helping with personal stuff as well. Like, like coffee hey, and dry cleaning and coffee. Yeah, whatever. exactly. Laundry. Um, you hope it's more of the former. Yeah, yeah. Obviously. And luckily for me, Neil really wanted that side of it. It's like lots of research, helping with um, that kind of thing. And so... That's wise. You have a person, you might as well... Yeah. You know, when he was at the beginning stages of this, it seems crazy not to just... Yeah. And Get as much as he could for support, right? Yeah. So while Neil and Terry uh, were writing District 9, 
uh, Bungie also came to Neil and said, well, we didn't get to do the Halo film with you, but we'd love for you to do a series of short films for us, for the game. How about how about it? And, um, and of course, that was like a really cool thing for Neil to still like make something in that world because we had a bunch of props already made. Right. Like so much work had, was done. They'd built an entire warthog, and a warthog is a giant car that is in Halo, um, a working car. So it was the perfect opportunity to basically. Where was use that those stuff? Things. Was it just sitting idle yeah, in it's hopes basically that just waiting to be used? So so yeah. So we did. We shot three shorts. I think two of them only ended up. We completed two of them. Um, it was just a really fun way for at least, okay, the film didn't happen, but there's a lot of fans out there that are really sad that it didn't happen, and, hey, here's some things that Neil actually did get to make. So those are out there yeah. for consumption. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of them was called Halo. Just Google yeah. Halo. Yeah. Halo Neil Blomkamp, and you'll see there's, yeah. there's a couple of shorts out there. So so what happened with this writing? So District 9's being written, you're being a director's assistant and liking this role? Yeah, it was clearly. awesome. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it. So then they basically, they finished writing and they packaged it up and they, they found money for the film and um, we went and made it. So yeah, it was really fun. It was shot in South Africa and we were there for just under six months doing pre-production and the shoot. And um, So what is pre-production? So... You know, you finish the script and it's green lit. There's money, you know, obviously the budget and all that is secured. And then what is pre-production? And and you as a director's assistant, what is your role in that? Are you still just helping the director straight line or, you know, how does that evolve? Yeah. I'm just so, curious. So pre-production, so basically a film has five stages to it. It has development, pre-production, shoot post-production and then basically release of the film and all the marketing and everything around it. And so what pre-production is, is everything that you need to do prior to the shoot of the film to organise everything. So it's everything from uh, design, um, figuring out what the costume is, figuring out what everyone's hair looks like and the makeup. So each department is now engaged in pre-production. Yeah, and each department will basically start at a certain at varying times based on how, at what stage they're required to, you know, how much time they need to do their jobs. Um, For instance, like the production designer will be one of the earlier people on just because they've got so much. They have kind of the overarching uh, creative person that's overseeing a lot of the departments, like, you know. Because it's the look and feel, really. It's the tangible look and feel of the film. They're basically there to help. The help with making the director's vision what he wants come to life. Yeah, what he or she wants. Okay, so that's pre-production. So what is your what were you, what was your role in this pre-production? Were yeah, you already in so, South Africa? So during we had yeah. So basically we had very early early pre-production in New Zealand, and that was basically just kind of finding um, finding the production company that we actually wanted to use in South Africa. So, you know, we we knew no one in South Africa. We have had no idea. I mean, Neil originally was from South Africa, but he hadn't filmed a feature film there. So um, our line producer... And, and I think, sorry, just to interrupt, didn't he say, I want to film it there? And Peter was like, yes, you can. Yes, yeah. He, like, yeah. kind of insisted that it be there. Yeah, I mean, this, the whole story was basically based Which on I love, that it was actually in South Africa. Yeah, it's, um, and, and the whole story is based 
in South Africa, so it being shot anywhere else would be, it just wouldn't be the same. Yeah. Just because District 9 is, like, it's a story about South Africa. It's an amazing yeah. film. It's- yeah. I think it was definitely one of the greatest films of its time in terms of... Did you what know it- what you were getting into at this point or you didn't have a clue? Like- no, no, I had no idea. It was just like, oh, this is fun, yeah, oh, I'm amazing. getting to work on this amazing film. and I Maybe it's better you didn't know, right? Because I feel like... It yeah. would have been more more pressure. But it doesn't seem like that's your style anyway. Yeah. I feel like if I would have known that, it would have been like, oh, my God. Yeah. I'm so scared. I think, um, I think the great thing about working with a director like Neil is that he really surrounds himself. He wants to surround himself by people that he he likes. So he doesn't want, you know, everyone has to be passionate and they've got to be as passionate as him to be able to be on his set because he's so, like, you know, energetic and he's so creative and he's so, like, he could probably do anything on the set himself, but he really entrusts people to be creative and do their thing as well. And that's the great thing about You can't ask for more than that. Yeah, yeah. And, like, I think that's why everyone who works on one of his sets is very much, wow, this is, like, the best movie I've ever worked on. Like, I just want to work on all of your films. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get retention and loyalty. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, that was really great to be a part of just every single step of of the filmmaking process with him to just to be kind of seeing all of that side of it it's like you get to um, learn a lot as well and he's very like he comes from a visual effects background so I he knows a lot about visual effects and that side of things so yeah and that's why his films are um, have a lot of visual effects but he's very smart at what he can and can't do and so I think that's, in terms of District 9, that's why it was so great because he know, he knew what he could do and he, he didn't want it to be like, you know, all these flashy visual effects. It's like, no, it has to be real. I want these aliens to look real and they need to look like they're actually there. It can't be anyone thinking that they're, you know, some CG Yeah, clearly character. CG. Yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, I ended up marrying a guy that worked on the set of District 9, and that was the first day I met him as well. Ooh. So, you know yeah. what? This You're not going to do better than this story because <laughs> it's like a dream director. You're in South Africa. It ends up being a smash feature film hit. You meet your husband? Yeah. Like, it's like <laughs> going on your first flight in, like, first class on Emirates. Like, yeah, there's was, nowhere else to go. You don't ever want to see economy after that. <laughs> So you're in South Africa. You're starting shooting. So who is your who is your husband? Like, what's that yeah, little story? Yeah, so it was um, so yeah. So we arrived on the 26th of March, and we went into our production offices and um, we met all the like main production crew, which was really nice. And at this stage, we already had done some early pre-production. Um, in New Zealand, so we'd kind of already been having conversations with a lot of these people, you know, casting um, videos had already started coming in from South Africa for Neil to see. Um, early pre, um, pre-design had already started. Our production designer, Phil Ivory from New Zealand, who also travelled to South Africa with us, he had already been in South Africa for maybe a couple of weeks before us. Um, so, yeah, so we arrived there and that was... Yeah, that was basically my first step onto South African soil. Johannesburg, which is where we were based, you can't go and walk down the street 
didn't have a car, um, we were driven everywhere, you know, it's very, like, you have to watch your back, you can't, so, like, it was very isolating. So how many months were you there? So just under six months. Wow. We there. I don't know if people realize that's how long you're away in a feature film. Yeah. It all sounds very glamorous, right? Yeah. But, I mean, you know, you're a mom and a wife now, it's different. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, like, it's, it's, it's you're away away. Yeah, it's full on. So, so you know, I feel like this this moment was sort of pivotal, right? Like you you had this feature film experience, and now, sort of, to me, um, was it more smooth sailing from this? Would you say like you're more solidified in that role? Yeah, definitely. I think um, through doing one one feature film with Neil, you basically as a director assistant, you're on for the entirety of the project. So, um, film came out. Film was you know, a huge success. It got nominated for five Oscars, five or six Oscars. Um, that was a really exciting um, phone call when Terry, the writer, um, Neil's wife, contacted me and said, hey, do you want to come to the Oscars with me? Um, so that was pretty Did you crazy. go? Yes. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a neat experience. This is amazing. Just to kind of go through, you know, and also I think just because we never, no one really thought... I mean, we all knew that it was an awesome film, but you don't think that it's going to have such huge success. Well, and, and I know some people do shoots and they think this is going to be amazing and then it bombs. Like, yeah. you're right. There's yeah. no there's no rhyme or reason. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was really great. And then from that, in my um, career path, basically, I worked with Neil on Elysium, which was the first feature film that I worked with him where we shot 80% of the film here in Canada. And that was so. That was was that sort of your first foray over here? Yeah. So I'd done a few weeks here on District Nine because we were going to do post production here. Well, we did a lot. We did all the visual effects. Well, eighty percent of the visual effects were done here. So I'd had a couple of weeks, kind of precursor in Vancouver um, before Elysium. And so yeah. So then I did development phase of Elysium and shoot, prep shoot everything with Neil in. Um, in Vancouver, which was really cool, and then we shot a portion in Mexico. So you, yeah. we, we glazed over your husband because, you know, we could probably talk for 10 hours, but you obviously met your husband on District 9. Yes, yeah, so met him there. He um, was working on the film. Yep, he was working as a, at the time, he was working as a casting assistant, um, so he was doing all the filming of the cast that would come in, and um, he would upload the videos to me in New Zealand, um, at the time. So when I got over to South Africa and met him, we were like, you know, we had to, I had to kind of deal with him a lot and, and stuff. Now and you're still dealing with him a lot. Yes, dealing <laughs> with <laughs> And then, so anyway, a friend of mine that I'd made in the production office there kind of said to me one day, oh, he's, he's, he could be quite nice for you. And I didn't, I hadn't even really, I, I was focused on my job at the time. I it wasn't, wasn't anything else except like, this is my job. And then, um, we just became really good friends. And then, yeah, we kept it very, very professional. No one knew about us being a couple during during the shoot or anything like that. Um, and randomly, all of a sudden, he was moving to New Zealand. And we still joke to this day that we don't actually know how that happened. You were just underslept. <laughs> yeah. Everyone yeah. was underslept it's and like, you just oh, made rash decisions. Oh, you're actually on the plane now. Okay. <laughs> So, yeah, that was really cool. Um, and then from there, we just always have travelled and worked on, um, we worked on Elysium. Uh, NCM, my husband, also worked on Elysium. Well, we I, we got married 
after Elysium, actually. Um, so we spent the shoot in the, we, we, yeah, we, we lived in Vancouver for Elysium and then we were here on work permits. And then after that, we did Chappie. We went and shot Chappie, which is another Neil film, in South Africa again. Um, so that was really great and got to work with a bunch of crew that we knew and trusted and it was just everything. Easier. Yeah, easier. Um, and then... So, and you were still doing director's assistant? No. Or, or this so evolved? From, so from... So Elysium was where where I kind of made it apparent. Well, I, I kind of decided, well, actually, I, I know I want to kind of get into producing somehow. And and Neil said, how, how do we make that happen then? And I sort of said, well, I think maybe if I stick to being your assistant but also then get associate producer, then I can – you know, work up and, and start doing some of those more producerial things. Right. And so a little bit more leverage. Yeah. And then after that, on Chappie, I was his co-producer and then so on. So it's just a stepping stone into kind of learning more and, and doing more in that instance. And then you kind of realized you couldn't live in New Zealand anymore. Yeah. So it was like, okay, well. Because Neil, did he come back? To Vancouver. Yeah, so he he and his family lived in Vancouver and just always shot wherever their films were shot and then always did post here. So it was like, I don't want to live out of a suitcase anymore. Let's just move there and get residency. And the film industry here is so amazing. that Yeah, because what year was that? That was 2000, end of 2014, got our residency and then the following year had our son, um, who's now almost four. And that was kind of a... I mean, everybody talks about, you know, life-changing having kids and, and everyone who doesn't have kids kind of is like, well, no, I'm going to have kids and I'm just going to let them, um, you know, they'll they'll follow me around. The, oh, bless those gonna, people's yeah, hearts. Yeah. And it's like, no, you have a kid and it changes your life entirely. Um, the great thing about having kids is that it makes you less... Selfish. Selfish, yeah. You have something else and someone else to think about and they're never going to go away. You can't give them Even back. when you want them to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so On certain weekend hours, yeah. you want to give them away. Yeah. So why don't we talk about Elysium? Because that was your first time shooting in Canada, right? Yes. And what was that like? You'd shot in New Zealand. You'd shot in South Africa. I'm so curious, as a transplant, what you thought of our industry here because you came, you know, it was pretty much getting to be the, the peak of Vancouver film. Yeah, I guess the the first thing that I kind of noticed as I got into the production office was just the level of, um, you know, everyone was just so professional. Everything was, you know, you, you get in, you get your uh, parking pass and everything, you know, just A, B, C, D. Everything happened, like, instantly. And um, although I have had that in the past with bigger films that I've worked on in New Zealand, like King Kong, there was just, it was just like this next level. So, and I think that's a big thing about the Vancouver film industry is that it has to be so professional because so many films are made here that, you know, every major uh, studio from the States is coming here to shoot. So, you know, the, the level of professionalism is just expected and it has, like it has to be. So, yeah, I think it's just very professional, um, very welcoming everyone was super friendly and yeah it was just a really great environment to be around because when everyone else around you is so professional you want to basically live up to those standards as well and so if you are a new 
PA or, or any you know uh, run or anything on a on a job here you see that you walk into that environment and you immediately have to be that as well. Did you find a lot of transplants here on set or was it mostly a Canadian crew? Uh, mostly for Elysium it was mostly Canadian crew. We brought over um, a New Zealand second unit director. Um, but yeah, mostly mostly everyone on that show was Canadian. It's funny, I hear rumors from friends that work in film that you often have American, you know, above the line uh, crew bitching about being in Canada, like bitching about Canadianism things. And I always wonder what those things are. Like, how different is it that you are struggling through it while you're on a shoot? <laughs> you know, like, what, what can be so awful? Like, yeah. I, I'm always curious about what that is. Like, how different is it, you know? And that's why I was curious about you, because you've been in other, in other sets, and, like, what is it like here yeah. for fresh eyes, you know? So you were working more as a as an associate producer, did yes. you call it? Yeah, yeah. On, on Elysium. So tell me about that, because your role was sort of evolving. You'd been sort of this assistant director to Neil, and now he was kind of giving you wings to, to kind of spread and, and go into the next phase of your career, because you were excited and interested about that. What was that like, especially doing it on a feature film? Like, you, you, you kind of are all or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really awesome. So um, we had... So as an associate producer, producer roles can be so varying. And on Elysium's instance, I was still working as Neil's assistant, but I was also associate producer. And so what that meant was that the line producer and the producer that was on board, I could also help them with certain things that they were doing, um, which was which was really great. And, you know, you just kind of get every every little job, you get to know the specifics of producing more. Did you know that world at all? I mean, you'd been around it, obviously, on other films, but was it a mystery? Or I mean, I know um, you like you wanted to do it, but did, was it what you thought? Um, you see, I mean, you're, especially as a director's assistant, you see what the producer does, or, you know, you're, you're in all those meetings, and with Neil, I was always in the meetings, so I saw what the producer was doing, and, you know, um, you see, hear the discussions and you know the kinds of meetings that they're involved with and everything. So it's, I would say, yes and no. It is different, but it's also very much like what you see. But behind closed doors, there's other things that producers have to deal with that you don't see. Like you know, what? Like dealing with angry actors or dealing with, you know, studios and how to deal with... I mean, this certainly wasn't my instance as associate producer on Elysium, but dealing with studios and their notes and what they have to pass back to the directors and what you, you know, you are, if you're a producer in, on the kind of production side of things, you, you're ending up being a middleman between the studio and the director, like the middleman between creative and studio. Oh, that's a, yeah. such a joyful role I've played in the past. Yeah. In advertising. And, and so you know it. It's like you're you're just... Trying to make everyone happy. Yeah, exactly. And also... It's very thankless, actually. Yeah, very thankless and... But also super enjoyable at the same time because when you, when you feel like you've, you know, made a suggestion or had some kind of impact in the way that someone else feels or some... The, the thought, the creative process behind what they've come up with, it's just really, yeah, it's very rewarding. So so what are producers like, you know, there's TV shows that are shot here and literally producers fly up from L.A. and hang out for the day and enjoy the lovely catering and then fly back. And, like, what are they doing? What are those people doing? Because 
I would agree with you that there's many different kinds of producers, and it's very confusing for the average person hearing someone's a producer. Yeah. You know, I know that there's producers that just inject money into stuff, and so they get a producer credit if they're a famous celebrity, they're throwing money at it, they get a credit as a producer. There's, like, actual producers that are, you know, involved, as you're saying, in actually working through the process and the system. How can you kind of explain that in layman's terms in a simple way for someone of— of, of kind of the varying ways you can be a producer. Like, maybe start with, like, an indie, because that's the most work, I would say, right? Yeah, okay, so with an indie, like... An instance, independent film for uh, yeah. those not in the know. Independent film, or even a short film, for that matter. Anything that's, you know, the budget's a lot smaller, your crew is a lot smaller, you don't have as much money to work with. Um, so a producer, in that sense, if you're a, just a standalone producer, you're pretty much doing everything. So, well, and when I say everything, I mean everything in a producer's sense. So you'll be dealing with um, making suggestions to the director on, oh, like, what about this cast member? What about that cast member? What about these HODs? What, What's an what HOD? Head of department. So Oh, like know, choosing dir- head, heads for the team. Yeah, heads for the team. So director of photography, production design. Oh, really? So you're, you're suggesting all of those things? Yeah, and a lot of times... Directors will have their own opinion on what they they may have done their own research and say, hey, can you can you see if this person's available? Um, and then you can check the availabilities and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, so yeah, a producer on an independent would be dealing with it's all just dealing with people and dealing with you know logistics of everything, like pulling it all together. Yeah, pulling it all together, like a party planner for an indie film. Yeah, and <laughs> when you're when it's an indie. You're doing that on a money set side as well. So you might be, hey, okay, well, we've got this many um, uh, financiers, so we need to bring, you know, you're dealing with all the contracts and you're dealing with legal to create the contracts and every every kind of aspect of producing you're, you're doing in that sense. Okay, so that would be like full on. So what would kind of be if you move up the ranks and in, in I mean like to a union show, like what kind of producers are living in that world? Yeah, so you've got... So you may have an executive producer, and when you're talking about a producer maybe flying over from the States and coming onto a, a bigger production, you might have an executive producer, which could be someone from a studio uh, that is the person that uh, either financed the film or have had some kind of involvement with the setup early on. Um, They're coming to check on things. Yeah, come check on things, make sure everything's good. How's the act? Like, how are the actors? Are they happy? Everything. Get like out that. of LA for the day. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but also to check in and make sure that the director's happy and everything is going smoothly so they can then report back to the studio and say, yep, we're on. We're on. Right. Track. Everything's fine. Even though we. Bit of a recon mission. Yeah. And then so. Underneath that, you would have your producer who's the head of all of the producers. So you might have one main producer. You might have two main producers. just depends on the show and, you know, how they want to, um, you know, how they deal with the credits and everything like that. So that those producers generally will always be on the ground and always be there on the show. Sometimes they're not, and in instances where there's, they're not, it'll be because they've got like a supervising producer who's on the ground and reporting back to them constantly. For instance, uh, the main producer might have six or eight other features 
happening. Right. So they might be in Toronto looking, you know, for a couple of days, seeing what what's happening there. They might then fly to LA and have a meeting about the development of the next film that they that. So they're not in the trenches. They're just bird's eye view. Yeah, exactly. And then so a supervising producer might be the one on set um, supervising the the overall you know happenings of everything. Um, then you've got the line producer who sometimes also gets, well, it seems to be the the thing now that line producers who are essentially the ones that are on set running the day-to-day and financing, the financing side of producing, I haven't really delved into much, but it's now becoming something that I am trying to get into more just because I want to make more of my own content. I want to be able to, you know, find someone, find a writer or director that's, got an amazing project and make it happen. So it's kind of, that's my next kind of learning curve to this producing phase is how to incorporate the things that I do already know about producing, aka the the actual making of the production, and pull together all of the money side of things and distribution and all that sort of stuff. So there's just so many different layers that... It's um, there's, there's so much to learn, and I think everybody, every producer is probably always still learning. I mean, every person is always learning. Well, and as you're looking for that here, I know you mentioned, you know, it's a challenge in this environment because we are a service industry. And you brought up some really good points on that, that from someone who's come and transplanted here, how much of Canada or maybe the West Coast is service. And we can kind of, let's elaborate on that for people that don't understand what we're talking about. Yeah. So service... The service industry in Vancouver of film work would essentially mean that the product is created in the US or created in the UK or created in Europe, and then they want the shoot portion of it done in Vancouver for a number of reasons. One, it's nice and close to Los Angeles. It's a three-hour flight, so any of the... Same time um, zone. Same time zone. Two, we have an amazing tax rebate system that's crazy good uh three the crews are world class um if not better i mean i have never worked in the oh States, she but. said better she said <laughs> better i'm not I, taking that I out would, i would say <laughs> it, the, the crews here are you, you're not going to get better than than the. Well, i feel like here. we hustle more because we're trying to live up to that big brother yeah of, and, of california yeah and i think maybe because a lot of people have been through that time like 2011 when I first came here there was no work like we were one of the few was that the whole save bc film kind of thing yeah yeah big fear the the fear was that you know the rebates were still there but there was a lot of um back and forth between different provinces you know oh we're going to have a better rebate so all the jobs would then go to toronto and chasing the chasing the kickbacks chasing the rebate and at that time also the dollar the u.s dollar was not great against the Canadian dollar. We're very dependent on that here. Like having a good, having a bad Canadian dollar helps BC film. Exactly. And so, you know, if you've got a $50 million or $100 million film, like a giant $100 million film coming here to to shoot, they're essentially now going to have $130 million to play with because of the rebate or, you know, depending on what the rebate amount is that they actually get back. So it's all labour driven. So you get back any of the BC labour you get back a percentage of that in your budget. 
So I'm, I, I'm sure a lot of people have no idea that don't work in film that that's how it works, that we are really service providers. Yeah. That if that dollar takes a big hit, that American dollar, uh, or some of those tax rebates or tax kickbacks are limited or diminished for whatever reason, that can, like, really, really uh, negatively impact the industry here. I think I read something the other day in the uh, Canadian Motion Pictures Association uh, magazine that said it was 10% that was local content, 90% service. So how do we change that? Like, I had a discussion with another guest uh, that came for the podcast who's more of a writer-director, and he kind of said the same thing. Like, there is some money and there is some, you know, uh, room for original content, but it's just not... uh, it's not anywhere that where it should be. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, there needs to be, uh, for instance, I know that uh, Quebec and Toronto, like East Coast has a lot more uh, incentives for creating original content. There is original content uh, money available here, but whether or not, yeah, I think I think the, the city is doing a few things that is really good. Like they've just started a writer's program here where they're trying to basically say, hey, well, the obviously the first part of a film that happens is the writing. So we need script writers here. All the script writers now live on the East Coast because that's where all the, for, for whatever reason, that's where they've all had to go. go. That's where the writer's rooms are. Right. Everything's there. So they're trying to have more writers and more kind of access to that here. I was reading that Netflix set up like a production facility in Toronto. So they're hoping obviously they can help foster more content from writers and creators. Um, So I'm wondering if that also plays a part. Yeah, I hope that, um, I really hope, I mean, that's, that's my goal at the moment. I really want to now try and focus on, okay, well, this is our home now. We've decided to move here. We're getting citizenship we want to be Canadian now so how can we make this our home in terms of creating our own content and doing that so that's basically where my head is and I want to stick to that I want to I love going away and working on films in other countries it's amazing but now I have a three-year-old son so that becomes a lot more difficult it's not as romantic when you've got a toddler in tow yeah on those those (laughs) six-month shoots in South Africa yeah exactly so there will be cases where um that will happen and I absolutely want that to happen because you know depending on the script you have to go where the story is set that kind of thing but post-production for me will always come back here because that's a huge chunk of time where you have to be, you know, where your home is. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I wish you the best of luck. This is all very exciting. And it's been great to see your career sort of blossom in New Zealand and kind of get you to a new newfound frontier in Canada. Yeah, thanks. You're enjoying it, obviously. Yeah. Well, thanks. I'm going to – let's plan a breakfast date soon. We will. Thank you. (laughs) If you want to learn more about my podcast, you can go to vantropolispodcast.com or you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also leave me a review on iTunes, subscribe, or share it with someone you love. Or don't love, just share it. (laughs) 